This week on The Final Dump, Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Freilich are here with you recapping what was undeniably a terrible Sunday afternoon for the Green Bay Packers. We'll look into what went wrong, the defensive strategy, the biggest issues with the offense, and why this continues to happen under the Matt LaFleur era. Plus, we will get you ready for week two with a little significant to some. It's all coming up right here on The Final Dump. News dump. News dump. Yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a landslide! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. We are back and better than ever. Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Freilich here with you for the final dump NFL week one recap edition week two preview. We'll get to that later on in the show with some significant to some as we get ready for Bears week. But unfortunately, as much as we were both hoping this would be a celebratory Monday night or Tuesday morning as you listen to the podcast, as much as we were hoping we could talk about, boom, the start of a third straight MVP campaign for Aaron Rodgers. And wow, the rookie receivers were balling out and this potentially elite defense. Yeah, they just destroyed Kirk Cousins and company. We didn't get any of that. Instead, we got a second consecutive dud to open up the season for the Packers. And we are here to hopefully be a little therapy for you and certainly some therapy for ourselves as well. Matt, we've got a lot to get to this week. We're going to talk about the offense, offensive line, wide receivers, what the defense was doing, why this continues to happen during the Matt LaFleur era. We'll look ahead to this coming week. But man, I'm not going to lie, this... This game this weekend kind of messed up my whole week. I thought that maybe this would be the year we had a different kind of start to the season. And then I went to work Monday morning. I had to get up a little bit early. I had some interviews to do at work. And I thought, wow, this really sucks. This is not a fun place to be to start the weekend. And we, this is emblematic of uh, exactly where we are. The Matt Fralick mute mic to open the show. No, this is fine. This is fine. We're getting it all out of our system now. We're having the mute mic now. The crappy week one game. The Aaron Rodgers dud performance. Christian Watson dropped passes. Joe Barry, you know, sitting in his office playing Atari instead of making a game plan. Like we're getting it all out in week one. That is totally fine. Uh, if, for those of you keeping track at home, it's three to one, Matt uh, <laughs> v. Brendan. So this is not golf. Uh, you want a lower score in this uh, statistical category, but uh, no, that, tough. It's always tough to start a week after a Packers loss. It really is. Like living in Green Bay, too. Like so many people, including myself, like a large part of their perspective on life, their energy, their enthusiasm, their positivity is based around this damn football team. And when you have so many months leading up to a game and you anticipate a W for a team, or at least in a a competitive nature, and you don't get either of those results, a win or even some competitiveness, it sucks. It really blows. Uh, Still grieving with my black on today. Uh, You know, it seemed like almost just back-to-back years. That was what I was going to bring up is when I was muted. Back-to-back years coming out just laying an absolute egg. And we kind of talked about that last week on the show, just how they had to play down in Jacksonville last year, this whole – you know, logistical nightmare, but they still didn't come out and perform all that freaking well. There's some good takeaways from this game. I think we'll, I'll try to sprinkle those in here as we go, but there's a lot of bad shit that happened in this football game. Um, I think one thing I want to just be cognizant of is like leading up to this game from, we'll call it Monday after we hit, re- stop hitting record, right? 
And until Sunday morning, I felt like I heard more and more buzz about the Vikings being an underdog team in the NFC. The you know the, maybe the division winner being the NFC North, uh, you know, Minnesota Vikings, et cetera, et cetera. And I, thought, I don't know if I was more cognizant of it because it was the Packer game. I don't know if I was more cognizant of it because it was just like it seemed like there was more, more publicity going on about that. But all in all, I think the Vikings showed up really well, and they definitely I met, met my expectations. Leaving from the Mike Zimmer era, transitioning flawlessly in the Kevin O'Connell area, being able to move the ball around effectively to all their playmakers. And it just goes to think, like, if Kirk Cousins had someone like this when he had these weapons, what it, the Minnesota Vikings would have looked like the last four or five years. Yeah, I – you know, I started the weekend on Saturday. My college team, University of Kansas, won. Starting the year 2-0 for the first time since 2011. I was a junior in high school. I'm now 28 years old, but that's fine. It maybe has been a while. And I was feeling great. I'm like, man, KU's being great. They really put me through a lot of emotional stress. Hopefully Sunday will not be the same kind of thing. And guess what? It wasn't because the game was over in the first half. And I didn't have to stress for an entire three hours because the game was pretty much over. By the way, speaking of what the Vikings did, and begrudgingly, you do have to give them credit because they came in with a great, great game plan, a great strategy strategy and they were able to pick apart the Packers we however before we get to the Packers faults were somewhat omniscient a week ago because on last week's edition of the final dump we pulled up this tweet from Matt Hamilton who covers the Chiefs at the KC Sports Network and is a producer as well for Good Morning Football on NFL Network he tweeted out a video that he did on GMFB and his tweet just said simple math Justin Jefferson plus Kevin O'Connell's offense equals kaboom explosion emoji um well matt i think it's fair to say as we saw on sunday in the packers loss kevin o'connell's offense and getting the ball to justin jefferson pretty much destroyed the packers defense for an entire game so i i will take the credit for us being right and being omniscient about that uh i'm also sorry to everyone because maybe it was our fault maybe we spoke it into existence so our apologies for that. We'll get to more about the defense coming up here later in the show. But overall, Matt, what's your biggest takeaway? And unfortunately, they're pretty much all negative. There's a couple things like you mentioned to take away positively from this. But overall, what was the biggest negative from this game this week? Because I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. There's a ton of different ways. And I don't want to... Um spoil any of our segments coming up so i'll try to avoid doing that because there are a ton of negatives to take away the one thing i'm going to say and it was my first it was there's two instances in this game that really you'd, you'd hope to see that an aaron Rodgers led team or a young team that has some talent like this is some you know really savvy energetic guys and some veterans there's two items that i didn't like and i'm just going to say it's just the energy of the team the enthusiasm whatever it's one, after the drop from Christian Watson, you know, who knows how the game would go if he would have caught that ball and obviously beat Patrick Peterson, got into the end zone. But you would have loved to see, and maybe we didn't see it on the broadcast, that Matt LaFleur goes up to Watson after the fact and, you know, says something to him, whatever. I did see later in the game, Romeo Dobbs went up to Chris, or went up to Aaron Rodgers, kind of gave him a slap on the back, saying, hey, I got you the next one, and trying to get some rapport that way. So I didn't really like 12's body language on the sidelines, and I think – I'm not the first person to ever call that out. I think people really ridicule him quite often for that. And I tried to defend him in some nature, but today he was, I mean, yesterday he kind of just looked kind of soft. And it's like, dude, you need to bring some of these young guys along, whether it's the running game, whether it's the linemen, whether it's, you know, the receivers, you got to kind of, I know you've been doing this for so long, but you still got to kind of humble yourself down and know what it takes. Like they've never played in a rivalry game, US Bank Stadium, where it's loud as shit. That's, 
And then half of that, too, is just also at the end of the first half, them showing the sidelines of the Packers, and you would have thought it was an NFC Championship game that they lost again, you know, 35-3 to versus the 49ers or some crazy shit. And, like, they look so dejected going into halftime and truly, truly just an ugly 30 minutes of play from them. And it did come out more positive in the second half, but it didn't take much for all of a sudden, let's get cute, let's stop running the football, let's try to sling it around for no apparent reason. So it's just, it's truly just the energy and the enthusiasm. That was my biggest negative because it's like, how do you not get up for a game like this? It makes no sense. Yeah, that's really disappointing. And the fact that this team is so quick to get out of rhythm and to just completely jack up what you would think the game plan would look like. And we'll talk more about the energy and the effort and some of the comments from Matt LaFleur coming up later in the show. But I just feel like one bad play at the beginning of the game shouldn't screw up your entire game, right? I mean, I think everybody sort of felt this evaporation of good feelings and good times when Watson dropped that ball. And yeah, should he have caught it? No doubt. Not just should an NFL player catch it or a division one college football player, a high school kid should be able to catch that pass that wide open and streak to the end zone. And it's not a referendum on, wow, Christian Watson's a bust or, oh my God, something, something Devonte Adams. I mean, none of that stuff is really relevant. He had a bad play and that happens, but it threw off the energy of everything. And it just, they never were able to get into any sort of rhythm. I think the, the bigger thing too, there were just so few adjustments over the course of the game. Mm-hmm. And I know that the, the concept of the halftime adjustment is overrated. I have this vivid memory, and I think a lot of people remember this, from last year, one of the Monday Night Mannings, Manning cast, whatever you want to call it, Monday Night Football with Peyton and Eli. I believe it was Peyton Manning. He, they might have been talking to another quarterback, but he said that, look, adjust the halftime adjustment thing is way overblown like a lot of fans and sometimes broadcasters or whoever they think oh you're going to go into halftime and you get oh let's pull out the backup game plan okay let's run plan b no that's really not what you do you maybe can tighten some things up or make a slight personnel switch but the concept of the halftime adjustment is overrated and frankly if you're waiting until halftime you're already behind because you're giving up all that ground that being said, and, and also, well, before I even get to that, sorry, I'm bouncing all over here, but you know, we've seen so much discussion on Twitter in the last 24 hours or so going into the show at eight o'clock Monday night about, well, why don't we just play man defense? Well, why didn't Jair just shadow Justin Jefferson? Look, would I have liked to have seen more of that? Absolutely. Yes, that would have been good. That probably would have helped a little bit, but also you've got to take other things into account. Like Eric Stokes had a really bad game. He was not good. I don't think that means he's a bad player. I don't think that means he can't bounce back very quickly. He's a second-year guy who looked like he had a rookie game, and he didn't have many of those rookie games a season ago. Russell Douglas was okay. He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He was just totally okay in the game. You have to take all these different things into account. So I think the fact that there were not enough in terms of adjustment. Zach Tom gets in the game. He only got in the game because of an injury. And then he was immediately taken out of the game. And no one still understands the whole Jake Hansen thing. And the offensive line alignments are bizarre. And why don't you try to do something a little bit different with the offense? I would have loved to have gone to more of the quick game, go to the bubble screen a little bit more, just try to get the ball to Christian Watson in space. Hell, keep giving him end of rounds, running routes out of the backfield. I'm sure they haven't practiced that, but you know what I mean? Like just Mm -hmm. try to do something to pick up the pace and, That just never came. It never came on either side of the ball. And when you already are clearly at an energy disadvantage and your quarterback is acting like an energy vampire and the coaching staff is not exactly having its best game ever, 
you just are having this effect where you keep snowballing and it gets worse and worse. And if you don't do anything to change that trajectory and to slow it down, you're going to keep tumbling downhill until it becomes unsustainable. Definitely. And I'm so glad you brought up that adjustments thing and just like the man coverage, because in the moment, I think everyone watching that game first and second quarter was like, hey, 21 is getting absolutely slaughtered by Justin Jefferson. Like Eric Stokes was having an abysmal start to his 2022 campaign. And it's very, very simple as a armchair fan to sit there and say, hey, just have Jair follow him across the field. Well, it sounds great on paper until you tried to actually enact it in a zone coverage based defense, which is what Joe Barry is in. And then you get up, then you get into personnel issues like we saw yesterday, which were probably even worse. You see Preston Smith covering Justin Jefferson or Quay Walker or whoever, Adrian Amos. You see guys that you don't, I mean, 100% Preston Smith. I never want to see him covering anyone. We've seen how that's gone. But it's like then you get yourself into stickier situations when you're running a cover three concept or a cover four. It's like that safety or that deep blue, or excuse me, that that deep blue on the, the cornerback has to come to the middle of the field. He's almost in just a hybrid role at that point. And then there leaves gaps in the in the corners between like a cover two or a cover three on the sideline. So it's it's extremely tough to say, hey, have him shadow him. Now, I think there are ways they could have came about it a little bit differently. Aaron Nagler and um, Andy Herman talked about this on Cheesehead TV today. Like they could have easily done something where, hey, we see that they're motioning Justin Jefferson an absolute shit ton. Let's put up a concept on, you know, in our stock formation. If he's lined up on the left side, let's put something there. And when he does motion over more than 50% of the time right now, he's there to take him and move him around through, through the zone. So I think there was some manipulation that could have done there. But I really, really do see this coaching staff constantly just like, here is what we're going into the game with. And if it doesn't work, fuck it. Like, truly, like, I, it's really what they're coming down to. They're just like, you know what? We're not going to adjust. We're, this is what we tried. And if we're going to lose, we're going to lose big and we're going to die on the sword that we came into this battle with. And I I don't necessarily, I, I mean, I absolutely hate that because if you can't counter in a game, you really can't do anything that's you're not going to be able to beat really top end teams and you're not gonna be able to pivot off what you thought was going to happen. And they clearly had to have thought Justin Jefferson was going to absolutely cook our, I mean, not, not cook like that. I mean, to no stretch of the imagination, he's going to just tear up that defense and be caught, but like, man, to not make some of these just, not only was there like no adjustments being had, it was just bad play in the secondary as well. Like I cannot get the idea out of my head of Darnell Savage running a 360 when, Justin Jefferson's running right out in the middle of the field and people are trying to blame Amos. I'm like, dude, watch the replay. Like you never turn your back to receiver. So it's just players not being in the right positions. And I think coaches is not putting them in better spots along the way. Um, but constantly just being down and having a tough time to come back in games like this, it, it's kind of getting kind of a little bit, a little bit tired of it. Well, let's just jump right into the defense. Then we'll get to the offense coming up in just a moment. Cause there are some big questions on the offensive side of the ball too. Defensively. I didn't think it was an, awful game overall I mean you only give up 23 points that's a winnable number in the NFL you held them to field goals on a couple of drives you got torched by one guy essentially and I mean Thielen didn't do a whole lot but as a number two matched up on your number two corner and he's not really being covered all that tightly for most of the game that's a pretty nice safety valve to have that scheme that the Vikings are now running with Kevin O'Connell I mean that is something that the Packers have seen before like last season when Kevin O'Connell was the offensive coordinator for the Rams. And you get the exact same type of basic principle. I was talking about this during the uh, game on Wisconsin Twitter space during post game on Sunday night that look, 
Go back to the tape from last year and you will see Cooper Cup being moved all over the place, outside on the boundary, in the slot, anywhere on the field where you can find a matchup for him to get the ball. That's what the Rams were doing. That's not really what Justin Jefferson has done in the past, and he's still been fantastic. Look at what happened in that game on Sunday. They moved him all over. They brought him in motion. They shifted him a bunch. They ran him out of the slot more. They ran him off the boundary. And guess what? He had one of the best games of his entire life, and the Packers had no idea what to do. Where's the preparation for that? And I, in that same space, Matt, I was asked a question about, you know, what about going forward? What does this team look like? Are they going to put Jair on number one receivers going forward? And the game that kept popping into my mind is in the middle of the season when they take on the Bills. Bills have a bunch of dudes who can catch the ball, but Stephon Diggs is a possibly top five wide receiver in the NFL. He is that good. So in a game like that, do you shadow Diggs? Do you do the same kind of thing? And my answer was, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think we need a little bit more time to see if, Joe Barry and the rest of the coaching staff say, all right, we need to be more flexible or all right, we need to adjust this or this or this. And that's going to be what the game plan looks like, because I agree with you from your point earlier, this team, generally speaking, has the right game plan, has a game plan that is Mm -hmm. going to win you games. It did not offensively and especially defensively on Sunday. And the next couple of weeks, I think are going to tell us a lot about whether or not this Packers defense can reach that elite potential or if it's going to look more like this, where you've got a lot of good pieces, but the sum of the parts just isn't good enough. No, and I'm, I'm glad I actually saw a producer here. He flip-flopped or from we're gonna go offensive stuff. He went with the defense. So I shut with the producer here. But it's like I the defense to me, I was having this little thought on my commute home today. Like, and I don't I we don't need to riff on it too much, but I I get somewhat Dom Caper vibes from Joe Barry, where it's like, this is the defense I run, and that's it. And I think that's it's it sucks to even put that out there, but I was just, I was like, damn, like really thinking about like, just kept getting throttled by the same thing over and over and over and over and not adjusting is like really gave me Dom Caper, headset up high, not going to mess up the do vibes. And I think the talent is way better than they ever had with, and not way, the talent is on one of the higher ends that Dom Caper's probably ever had. Let's not forget, like, not I'm not discrediting Eric Stokes or Rasul Douglas or Jair, but like, the expectation across the league and even from the fan base is like, these are three of the best corners. We should be, be comfortable putting Justin, Justin Jefferson on Eric Stokes. That doesn't put us in a sticky situation of having to shadow our best player on a guy and then almost give, give up Adam Thielen or whoever want to make a, make, wants to make a play for them. And going forward, like you said, it's not like Stefan Diggs doesn't have a good counterpart. We saw Gabriel Davis on, on Thursday night football this last week, balling the hell out. And so I truly going forward, it's just like these our playmakers got to make plays. Like I put Razul Douglas and Eric Stokes as I consider them playmakers. I think the entire defense is a full a bunch of playmakers. They need to be able to show up and play what they're instructed to do. And for Joe Barry, it's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta adjust a little bit. Like, and there's certain things that like, even like the depth of the linebackers they showed. And like, I kind of put that on him a little bit too. Cause it's not like, I mean, Dalvin cook wasn't running the ball like crazy. Like we've seen him do four touchdowns, 200 yards. But to not have the depth there where it's like you're playing a zone and like to have your guys seven, nine yards off the ball is like a deep crosser is always going to go on, you know, behind that. And Justin Jefferson, a second, you know, third year guy, like he's going to be able to make a play like that. He's going to be able to go. So I, it's you scrap it. You, you learn. I mean, there's a lot of there's a couple new pieces involved there. Quay Walker was involved. You know, there's some other guys there. But like at the end of the day, it's just in that secondary, which is supposed to be probably the brightest spot on this team talent wise front end talent it just it didn't show up against a team that you they did exactly what you thought they were going to do and they executed 
better than I could have expected from the, the Viking standpoint. I did it too. I just muted my mic. Did I had to go pull up a tweet that I wanted to show Respect. and I had Respect. my mic muted. Respect. Three to two. All right. I'm still up by one, but yeah, that's mute mic number two for me on the season already. But I wanted to bring this up too, because this is what really drove me crazy listening to Matt LaFleur's press conference on Monday is the problems with communication. And I think I brought this up on the show last week, Matt, like, yes, you've got a new piece in Quay Walker, who, by the way, before he got hurt was all over the place. Now he was put in some bad situations, but he was all over the place. Yep. But you've got guys who've been there before. The entire secondary was here last year. Now the secondary, the corners did not always play together because of Alexander's injury, but they've all been there. And Jair has been around for a long time. Devondre Campbell was around last year. Many of the pieces on the defensive line were together last year. And then we get this from LaFleur on Monday, where he says that communication will be a quote-unquote point of emphasis this week after the Packers had breakdowns in their zone coverage and linemen were blocking the wrong guys, et cetera, et cetera. That was tweeted out by Ryan Wood, among others. The It's largely the same roster. Like, yeah. wide receivers and the quarterback, okay, I get it. Even the offensive line going to that side of the ball in certain instances, okay, there's so many moving pieces, so many guys have been hurt coming in, coming out okay, there's at least an excuse. There's no excuse for there to be communication issues with this defense. Those dudes have all been together. If Quay Walker gets something wrong, okay, he's a rookie. That's going to happen. Alexander and Stokes and Douglas and Amos and Savage should not be miscommunicating, especially no. not with that level of frequency. So that's one of the things that really pissed me off about this and hearing that, how? How did you go through all of camp working alongside each other for the most part? They obviously didn't play in the preseason, but they were together last year too. There should not be that kind of miscommunication. And to me, that largely comes down on the coaching. I've got a lot of gripes about some coaching things from this weekend, but I want to get to the offense first mm -hmm. because there were a lot of problems with the offense in this game, right? I mean, I think the play calling was not especially good. Aaron Rodgers did not have a good game. I don't think it was oh my God, this idiot is washed bad, but he, he didn't have a good game. I, he was kind of pouty. He did the hero ball thing. Just not a good game for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, whatever, scrap it, move on. Hopefully against the Bears, he goes back to his normal self. But there are legitimate questions right now and legitimate concerns, I think, at two different position groups. Wide receiver, understandably. Offensive line, understandably. For the O-line, it's the fact that your two best players still aren't out there. And as depressing as it was to not get Bakhtiari or Jenkins back I get it but then the the personnel is still weird and I know Lafleur said on Monday or I think it was Adam Stenovich actually said that hey he's Jake Hansen's done a great job in pass blocking recently that's something he's really worked on that was actually during camp that wasn't on Monday but I saw it on Monday well well dude at some point you got to prove it in the game and it's not a surprise Zach Tom came in due to the injury and all of a sudden the offensive line started to block better not that one fifth round rookie can change everything but the examples are there so there's problems with the offensive line that will be rectified with the health of Bakhtiari and Jenkins. But guys, we can't assume they're just going to be themselves right away. They're coming back from ACL tears. David Bakhtiari has been out for a long time at this point. I don't think we can just expect he's going to be previously best left tackle in the league, David Bakhtiari, right off the rip. So there's some things that need to be figured out, especially on the interior. If you're into pro football focus grades, they did not think highly of the Packers' interior line this week. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the other position, the wide receivers, Matt, 
look, we knew what the issues were going to be, right? These guys don't have a rapport with Aaron Rodgers, which if you're a preseason truther and you think they should have been out there for a live game reps and we should have seen this, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. This is a point in your favor, I suppose. But you know, Christian Watson is inexperienced. And what was the biggest knock on him coming into the draft? Other than the fact he played at FCS, his hands, exactly. The fact that he has iffy hands, Romeo Dobbs didn't really do a whole lot. Didn't have a ton of opportunities in this game. Sammy Watkins, you know, my thoughts on Sammy Watkins, but he, hasn't been around. He's a veteran. He's been in the league, but he hasn't been around this team all that long. And Randall Cobb is limited at this stage of his career. He can do something. He can go seven yards down the field, sit down in a soft spot in a zone and catch a first down pass on third and five. He can do that for you. And he in fact did do that in this game on Sunday. That's not, that's about it at this point. He's not going to be a big yak guy at this point. He's not going to be Mr. Do everything Swiss army knife receiver at this point. So without Alan Lazard, who at least has some sort of relationship with Rodgers, I mean, you've got nothing. It was nice to see Big Bob out there. That was one thing. He looked Uh healthy. He looked as good as we've seen him in, again, quite some time. So that was nice. But other than that, I don't know what's the bigger concern, both short-term and long-term, with these two position groups. But, I mean, I don't know how you can't be at least somewhat concerned with both after week one. Yeah, definitely concerns with both. I'm going to start with the one that I'm not concerned about as much. That being, shout out my boy Trey Moore, uh, that being the receiver group. I feel like Aaron Rodgers has done a lot more with a lot less in the receiver group. And the likes of Jared Aberderis, Jeff Janis, uh, Trevor Davis, just to name a few knuckleheads that he's been able to throw the ball to and be productive with. And I every single year that I can remember, I feel like the offense with Aaron Rodgers has just come out flat. Ever since kind of him and Ro- him and McCarthy started having their falling out, it just kind of seemed that there was a disconnect. I don't think there's the same disconnect, clearly, with him and LaFleur, but it's just the way that he, Aaron approaches the game. Like, I think he knows he's so talented, he can sling it around wherever he wants to go, and that puts him into, pop, you know, pickles when it's like, hey, I'm down a score, I'm down two scores, I want to throw, sling the ball. I think this. I 100% think the receivers are coming along because they're way too talented not to. You're going to get Lazard back at some point, maybe this week, if not, probably next. Getting stepped on on the ankle doesn't feel good from your teammate, but eventually he's going to come back. It's not as serious as the other uh, offensive linemen. So I think those pieces are going to work out. Christian Watson is going to earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers or re-earn it possibly. Romeo Dobbs is going to continue to progress. I think he had a solid game last week, or excuse me, yesterday. Sammy Watkins. Not the Sammy Watkins we once uh, thought about the Buffalo Bills traded up for back in the day. Uh, definitely has lost a step, but I think he's a serviceable serviceable veteran receiver that they need to have in this team. Now to the offensive line, which I think is the huge concern. Last week, we talked about if and when Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari were to go, what does your starting five look like? And we kind of went down the list. It may seem very obvious. And then it was the point of what happens if those guys can't go what does your best five look like? And I really come to the conclusion that it's not then your best five because you're not able to put guys in a position you would normally put them out there with. It's like it's like your best eight. So it's like you're getting to your seventh and eighth guy. It's like not the best five you have available. You're almost like scaling it back a notch from a couple of players that can't be out there based off their position and where they would line up. So I really, really had a lot of problems with the offensive line play. Normally offensive line play, I don't catch um, in real time, there were so many plays yesterday that I was catching in real time, just screaming, screaming. And I was, my dad was watching the game. Andrew was watching the game with me. And I was like, 
if they show a replay, watch this. And more often than not, they're showing the replay. The one that was super glaring, I think it was right when AJ Dillon came out of the second half and had a huge hole. They 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 uh they pulled a guard or a tackle and like got out in space, had a couple guys in front of him. All Josh Myers had to do was look downfield and run into someone, but he was turned back towards the offensive line. There's a picture that came out today that I saw Josh Myers and uh who would have been Jake Hansen just like blocking each other. That's that's tough. That's a tough look. And like just constantly the offensive line, I felt like wasn't prepared to run through someone, set up the run blocking. And even just like, ah, it was just, it was just ugly, man. And I knew the X factor. We I talked about the X factor in the game. And I, like I said, it was very lame was Zadarius Smith versus the, the tackles. And it ended up being a super, it kind of set the tone on the defensive side for them. Zadarius was, had a shit ton of energy. He was flying over the ball. Um, the offensive line's got to get it figured out because it doesn't matter who you're throwing the ball to, who you're running the ball with. If you can't keep 12 from getting absolutely slaughtered. I mean, there were a couple hits he took that was like, damn, he might be out for the game. Then he's getting his neck rubbed and stuff like that. It's like, dude, I, a lesser man, I feel like would have been, but the ironic part was like, I think him and Runyon got in that collision. Runyon goes out with a concussion. He stays in. I was like, that doesn't even, I don't even know how that's possible. It doesn't even get looked at, but you know, 2022, you got to keep your, uh, your assets in, uh, t- on the field. So Offensive line, 100%, because it was a really, really bad performance. Still the head scratcher of Jake Hansen at right guard. I thought it was one of those things, like it was like a test run, like last year they did with a couple guys, and then until he got into the game, and it's like, okay, they're not going to play here. And lo and behold, he got to start at right guard. It's like, wow, I did not expect that. Hopefully he can hold up, and I think it definitely opens up the opportunity for Zach Tom to get involved a little bit more, and I think there's just other players that they can start cycling in there because – Jake Hansen looked like crap. Like he did look terrible. So I'm definitely um it's it's pretty close to red alert, like raising the white flag a little bit on that offensive line until we can get those guys back. Because if we have a bad performance this week against the Bears, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, I think there's I mean, what you, you invest all this capital into these offensive lines. You can't find five good guys. I understand you're missing two of the like best offensive line in the league, but like you should still have some interior guys that can block a couple anyone. And I think too, and by the way, let's to use some corporate America language, let's put a pin in that comment about not being prepared because we're going to get to that here momentarily. But you have better options. And I think that's the the frustrating thing. And I think, Matt, that goes back to your point about we've got a game plan, we're going to stick to it, and we're going to live by the game plan, die by the game plan. And we are committed, speaking as Matt LaFleur and Adam Stenovich and the offensive coaching staff, we are committed to Jake Hansen starting the game, and he is going to be a piece for us, whether you like it or not. And guess what? I don't like it because he immediately gave up a sack, and he was terrible in this game. And I – look, at some point, I don't really care if he's an elite run blocker. If he can't even be decent in pass protection – He shouldn't be out there on the field. And I get that it was just preseason games. I get that we don't see every single rep that happens during training camp. Zach Tom is a better option at this point. He is. I know he's a rookie. I know he has minimal NFL experience, all of one drive at this point. Give him a shot. The Packers have shown they're willing to mix and match guys. Hell, they did it in a playoff game completely out of nowhere for seemingly no reason last year. They can mix and match pieces. They can change things around. Get Tom out there because what we saw this first week of the season, it ain't going to cut it. That's not good enough. And I'm with you overall too. Offensive line, bigger concern for me than the wide receivers, because at least for the receivers, one, you're going to develop 
a little bit more of a rapport, hopefully over the course of the season. It seems to me at least, and maybe this is just biased fan speak, but it feels like Watson and Dobbs, among the other young guys, they've got a good mindset about how to be contributors on this team and what they need to do. I thought, you know, I was very upstanding comment by Christian Watson after the game. Hey, it's not going to happen again. I know it was a mistake. All good stuff for someone who has to recover from that kind of bad mistake. And you can scheme around that too. You can do more bubbles. You can do more crossers. You can do more stuff to get the ball out quickly to get those guys in space, if nothing else, so they can make plays, get Aaron Jones more involved. That's an obvious one. We haven't even touched on that yet. The fact that Aaron Jones had no impact on the game because they just totally neutered his touch count, touch count, excuse me. But the offensive line, you really can't scheme around that. I mean, if you get the ball out quickly, and, and again, I was talking about this on the game on Wisconsin Twitter space Sunday night, you can get the ball out quickly to try to eliminate the offensive line's woes. But at some point, you're going to hit third and eight, and you're going to need time for something to develop. You're going to be in a third and 10 because there was a false start penalty or whatever, and you've got to have a little bit of time in the pocket. At some point, you cannot you can't scheme around that offensive line problem. And that's the big concern for me. And again, you're not going to have a hundred percent Bakhtiari back when he comes back. You're in all likelihood are not going to have 100% Elton Jenkins back when they get back, just because it's Tory ACLs. That's not the easiest thing to come back from, even if it is more and more common. That's why the offensive line worries me more. I think you can do less to scheme around it than you can with the wide receivers. I do, while we're talking offense specifically here, just want to reply to a comment from our guy, Iowa Joe, on the Game on Wisconsin YouTube. Says, is it pretty sad that Love looked better during a junk time drive than Rodgers looked all game? I I see where your point's coming from, but also I think you answer your own question that it was a junk drive and the Vikings were not playing defense at that point. And look, if the play calling is different and you're trying to mix things up at that point in the game, I've got even more questions for what LaFleur is doing with the play calling. Mm -hmm. But I think at that point, the Vikings were just trying to get out of there healthy and just be done with the game and go home and take a shower and lay in their own bed. So I I don't think we can read into that at all. I mean, go back to the Buccaneers game last season, right? And Jordan Love came in at the end of the game, completed, what was it, three of five passes, including a couple nice ones, hit Amari Rodgers even, who, by the way, uh, did not log an offensive snap in this game. There's so much shit that happened in this game, dude. It is mind-boggling how irritating all of this is. I uh, appreciate the comment and the question, by the way. I always appreciate anything uh, from any of the live listeners know. and watchers, but I don't think there's much to read into that. It It was a crappy game, and at that point, I think the Vikings were just ready to go home. I've been teasing this all night, Matt, so let's get to it. Why does this keep happening over the last now three-plus seasons? Because every time the Packers lose a game, or almost every time the Packers lose a game, it's not just a loss. It's a complete, unmitigated disaster. And for some reason in particular, this happens when they have more time to rest and prepare more than anything. In And Matt Schneiderman tweeted this on Sunday night. In the four season openers for Green Bay under Matt LaFleur, they are two and two. They won the first two. They've lost the last two. And in three of those four games, they have scored 10 points, three points, seven points. The only exception being the start of 2020 in the COVID year. And nothing about that year makes sense or counts. That all happened in a fantasy world. In three of four years, they have scored 10 or fewer points in the opening game of the season when they've had extra time to game plan, get everyone healthy, and rest. That should not happen. They have not won a game after a bye week 
during the Lafleur era. They lost a playoff game as the number one seed following a bye week just this past season. I don't understand that phenomenon at all. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because this team is a bunch of front runners. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is a front runner. I don't know. And I'm not trying to accuse anyone of anything, but I'm just trying to come up with explanations why this happens all the time. Chargers game in 2019, Buccaneers game in 2020, openers each of the last two years. I just don't understand why things fall apart so quickly and then they just cannot find a way to get back into these games. And I'm just scrounging for answers at this point. What logic is there behind this constant struggle to gain any momentum if the start of the game is not picture perfect? So leading up to this week, I went back and um, for anyone that remembers, uh, Will Compton, Bustin' with the Boys podcast, whatever, former NFL linebacker, uh, he was in Lambo a couple of weeks ago, right? Did all these interviews with Rick Passaccia, Rich Passaccia and LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, Preston Smith, Robert Tunyon. And I went back and listened to all those in the entirety from, I don't know, Tuesday to Thursday, Friday, whenever I got done with them. Um, and a couple of things that stuck out to me were, number one, how the team views Matt LaFleur. He's more of a friend to them. He's more of a, you know, jovial, you know, ribbing. It, and it, that's what makes him great as well. He's a player's coach. You can relate to the players. And there's a lot of great things that have happened since Matt LaFleur has been a part of this organization. Another item that I think is super, super important to bring up is Robert Tunyon talked about how or, you know, Will Compton, and sometimes when you get a guy like Will on, he's been in the league, they kind of have these inside nuances mm-hmm. that are part of the NFL. And he talked about, asked them, like, you know, how do how do the weeks work? How do home games work? How does training get, like, and just, like, do you stay in a hotel? Because that used to be a big thing, right? I think Aaron Rodgers was the one that kind of got that ball moving and once LaFleur came there, they don't stay in the hotel on a, a home game, which is, it sounds absolutely insane that a team would do that, but it's less distractions, things are easier to control. You don't want to worry about how 53 guys are getting to the stadium. You want to worry about how two buses of, you know, two sets of players get to the stadium. And from Will Compton asking that question, question, Robert Tunyon answering in that, and then a veteran like Preston Smith chiming in saying, hey, yeah, this is kind of strange. Like this isn't really everywhere else, but it's like there's a lot of leash that Matt LaFleur gives these guys, a ton of leash from just how they – I think they're able to kind of just be free within the locker room. They're able to kind of just do what they need to do to get through the weeks. But ultimately, sometimes that can be your biggest detriment if you're that too nice of a buddy-buddy a with someone that you need to kind of kick in the ass from time to time. And anytime I do see Matt LaFleur hollering at a player, it's kind of a little cringy. I'm not going to lie. When I see him yelling at someone, it's just a little strange to me. Um because he is such a positive guy and he always just seems like to having guys under his wing and having this collaboration. He does it with his, his offensive line coaches. He collaborates with Aaron Rodgers, etc. But it's just, I think it's just a little bit too much of a long leash from Matt LaFleur. And I think that kind of speaks volumes of when you have these long layovers, like getting a team ready after maybe they've been a little bit, you know, uh, you know, reserved and laid back and they're not as in, enthusiastic about a game or got that killer instinct I think that kind of really the all those stars align because it comes from a bye week comes from regular season bye week first round buys coming off of a preseason gap here like I think that's the biggest thing is like he just doesn't have that that nastiness like a Rich Passaccia would if he got and just absolutely crucified some guys during halftime and they got out and made some you know not adjustments X's and O's literally just went and did it for one another and you kind of saw that in week in the beginning of the second half but end of the day, man, I think that's just the biggest thing. Like 
The thing that makes him the greatest is that he can collaborate and connect with all of his players and they respect the shit out of him as a as a, a colleague. But sometimes I don't think they respect him enough as a boss and then their coach. That's the biggest issue, I think. And I don't want to indicate that I think he's a bad coach by any means no, because I, I want to walk that line. You don't win 39 of your first 50 games being a bum, okay? I know he's got the Hall of Fame quarterback. I know he had the number one receiver in the NFL. That's not by accident, okay? He is a very good coach. I would argue one of the best coaches in the NFL. And more often than not, he gets things right. But it's really frustrating when we get to these situations, Matt, where there's, well this or that, or, oh, well, the, the energy was off. Dude, you're the coach. That's your responsibility to take care of that. And that's the thing that bothers me because you mentioned earlier in the show, preparation. You also mentioned that the energy was off at the beginning of the game. Matt, that's you, not you, Matt, the mm -hmm. other Matt. That's mm -hmm. you. That is on you and the coaching staff to get that taken care of. I know the players have to be able to motivate themselves. And if you can't get motivated for a game and you're in the NFL, you're already behind the eight ball. But if the constant issue, 2019 games, 2020 games, 2021, and guess what? Now 2022, and you have these games where everyone's an energy vampire and you can't develop any sort of momentum. You can't get in a rhythm. Everyone starts to try to play hero ball and specifically speaking about 12 Eventually, that comes down to the coaching, and you've got to say, what do we need to do differently to get to a better place? That's looking at Matt LaFleur, Adam Stenovich, Joe Barry, all the assistants, position coaches, quality control guys, everyone. What do we need to do different to get to a better place? Because this can't keep happening. Because you can win the division with this team they've got out there right now. Even if the Vikings are better, even if the Bears aren't a laughing stock, the Lions will always be the Lions and they're just going to be the Lions until the end of the universe. You can win the division. That's great. This team in this window has bigger goals than that and needs to have bigger goals than that because the quote-unquote Super Bowl window with Aaron Rodgers is closer to closing than it is to opening. Whether we want to admit it or not, I don't know if it's after this year, two years, three years, whatever it is. My assumption is three more seasons, including this one. You've only got so many chances. You've only got so many years with the guys you have who are good enough to get to that point. So you better go win it. And you don't want to get into another spot where, oh, man, we're we're doing great. Can't wait for this big playoff game. Oh, whoops, sorry, came out like duds, and we look like boys playing men, and it's all over from here. That's what happened in 2022, and or 2021, excuse me. I guess the game happened in 2022, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to sound like an entitled fan, even though I sh I'm sure I am because I've been a fan of a team that had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers back-to-back -back since I was born. But expect better. Expect it to not be that again because it has been that too many times, including this weekend. And I think your theory, Matt, is as good as, as anybody's. Now we're going to you, Matt, and not the other Matt. But I think your theory is as good as any, and and our guy Joe again commenting in and saying, hey, be a little more Lombardi-ish. And I don't know if it's exactly he's he's too nice or he's too much of a buddy-buddy a kind of best friend with the guys, but there is something that needs to be done because you cannot try to make another Super Bowl run with the specter looming over you that at any given point you might just have an absolute turd sandwich of a game that you're just going to keep munching on until the season is over. You just cannot – that was gross, but you just cannot live with that reality. And I'm very fearful that we had another one of these games that that could be coming soon. Now, I will say 
if there's ever been an antidote in the 21st century and the last decade of the 20th century as well for the Packers woes, it is playing the Chicago Bears, and especially it is playing the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field in primetime, and that is what the Packers get to do this week. The Bears are 1-0. They did beat San Francisco in a monsoon underwater. It was pretty incredible. It was like watching The Little Mermaid, but they were playing football, but it was all under the sea. They're... They won 19 to 10 over a San Francisco team that is probably going to be pretty good, but we don't really know. Week one results can always be kind of wonky. See example, Green Bay Packers 2021. What do you expect to see from this Bears team? Do you believe that second half Justin Fields from this Sunday is the real deal? Do you believe he's more the first half guy who completed three of nine passes for under 20 yards and looked terrified like he did all of last season? They've got a new look defense with Matt Eberflus now calling the shots as their head coach. What do you expect to see from Chicago coming up in week two? What's hopefully a bounce back week for the Packers? So I was pretty optimistic. So, you know, noon game, Niners, Bears, all the talk was about the field condition and some of the just the pictures that were taken from either the skybox or down the sideline. If you saw how wonky that was, like everything going into this game just seemed like Bears are going to Bears. And when the weather, when the weather kicked up and started, like you said, turned it into a little mermaid, like truly. I think you have to throw a lot of this game out the window, man. Like there's not a lot I can take away from this game, unfortunately, because, you know, Niners, Elijah Mitchell gets banged up. That's, I think he was having a pretty good start to that game. He gets, you know, tweaks the MCL, but overall, just like the weather screwed up this game so much that it's really tough to take away. Like, as we, like I said, you're watching the noon game, you're prepping for watch the Packers game. What better way to get involved is watch a rivalry, two rivals, you know, obviously the Bears and then the Niners who have been a rival of the Packers the last you know couple decades. And it just kind of was a shitty game. You couldn't t- take much away from it. I think there was a lot of good that I saw from the uh, defensive side of the, the Bears. I thought they did really solid. I thought they fooled Trey Lance a couple times more than I had expected. They, I mean, there's not a ton of great receivers right now for the, uh, the Niners. I mean, still unsure where Debo Samuel falls. Probably at this point, he's more of a rushing uh, human being than a receiving one. But between Brandon Ayuk and uh, they didn't have even um, George Kittle, like I just feel like ultimately it's it's truly like the Bears I expected to see. I thought there was they made some strides. They tried to run the ball a ton, but that's also based off of the fact that it was raining like crazy. And they only threw it 17 times with fields. He threw a pick, had two touchdowns, fantastic. I think it's the same Bears we should expect. I think don't get crazy that they beat the Niners, and I think the Niners are a good football team. But Trey Lance's first, you know, start like for the season, like there's just so much stuff going around them. They didn't have Kittle, who's their number one guy. Like it's just, I think I kind of throw that game out a little bit, especially with the weather. Like I said, so end of the day, I think it's still the Bears team we should expect. I think Fields look a little bit more comfortable um, than I had seen him last year. I think he had some nice touch on those first couple patches, which were kind of weird. He was just lobbing them over. Um, uh, linebackers and defenders but at the end of the day I don't think they got a receiver that can hurt the Packers I really really don't like it was it looked tough from what they were trying to distribute the ball out to and David Montgomery looks like he's gonna be another big piece and they're gonna rely on Khalil Herbert again this year but really like Mooney only had three targets I know a lot of it's with weather again but like every one of your receivers caught one pass David Montgomery caught three like it just it was just a shitty game from them and I think that's this is a like you said best way to bounce back Bears come to Lambeau primetime. Rodgers does what he does, and I think we get back on track and we forget about week one until we play the Vikings later on the season. And I think that's the number one overall thing here is that the Bears 
roster coaching game plan, all that lends itself to you believing this is a good situation for the Packers to bounce back against one. The Packers are just more talented, no matter what we think after week one, this is a better Packers roster overall than the Chicago bears roster. If you want to look at the Packers defense, you're right. I mean, are you scared by Darnell Mooney? No, I'm not. I mean, he's a good player. I saw that Clay Harbor, the former NFL tight end, who's now a Bears doofus on Twitter, said that Darnell Mooney is one of the top 15 receivers in the NFL. He's maybe, maybe a top 15 NFC receiver. He's a good player, but he's not He's not Devontae Adams out there. He's not, he's not even like Keenan Allen out there, okay? He's a nice player, but no one's scared of Dante Pettis. No one's scared of Cole Komet. And don't, you know, I don't think this is one of those old takes exposed kind of things if they end up having good games. I mean, it's true. Those guys are not especially talented or especially good. So this should be an opportunity for the safeties matching up with Komet or for the corners against Mooney or Pettis or Byron Pringle or any of these other guys to step up and have good games. The one stat that's been floating around, at least on Monday afternoon on Twitter, was that the Packers actually generated, I think it was 17 pressures against Kirk Cousins on Sunday. Didn't seem that high. I wasn't super low on what the Packers did on the defensive line. I thought Mm. it was okay. I think it was clearly got at least pressure a handful of times. This Bears offensive line is not very good. And I think you can, again, have a bounce back for Well, Kenny Clark doesn't need to bounce back. He was fantastic. Rashawn Gary had his moments as well. Preston Smith got in the backfield a few times. But this feels like a game where you can generate a lot of confidence on that side of the ball, both up front and in the secondary. Offensively, look, it comes down to this. Do you trust Aaron Rodgers is going to go out there and beat the Chicago Bears? Do you trust that even with their new coaching, with their new defensive scheme, they are going to be able to go out there and beat a team they have beaten numerous times over the years in a facility where hopefully the Packers should be at their best at Lambeau Field. I think they're going to. I am going to put my trust in the offensive coaching staff that they can come up with a better game plan to scheme guys open a little bit better, to get the ball out more quickly, to alleviate some of the problems with the offensive line, to get Watson and Dobbs the ball in space, let them make plays. They don't have to get 75 yards at a time. You can get eight yards on one of those little quick out bubble screens to Christian Watson. I keep bringing up these same plays is the kind of thing Adams used to run all the time. Just that quick out bubble run down the sideline for seven, eight yards. Boom. That's a perfect play on first down. Anything like that. I trust the offensive coaching staff will come up with a better game plan. And this feels like an opportunity for the Packers to really generate some confidence going into a big, big game in week three against Tampa Bay. I mean, Fields, the final comment on him, I'm not a Fields guy. I just don't see it with him. He had a nice second half. It was certainly better than he was in the first half. Still has a lot of issues reading the defenses. He's not especially accurate. He's a great athlete. I personally don't see it with him. I'm sure that's rivalry bias. I'm sure that's I'm rude against the team that's from the town I grew up in bias as well. But for now, just not really all that worried about that Bears offense, Justin Fields on fire or not. So, Matt, that brings us, it's the end of the show, to significant to some. It is time to look ahead to the next game for the Green Bay Packers, look at the early line, the early total, and think of what we think this game will turn out into. The current lines for the Packers and Bears, and I'm not going to tell you what sportsbook I'm finding this from, but I will tell you there are fans there and they do like to duel. Uh, the Packers are currently favored by nine and a half points. It opened at eight and a half. It's already gone up to nine and a half. Wow. And the over under is 42 and a half. 
let's start with the total 42 and a half. I'm, I think I'm leaning under with this one. Really? I just think 42 and a half with like 10 points. Is that, that seems crazy. Like they, they're looking at like a 35, 10, 32, 10 victory by the, the green Bay. Then at that point, that's, uh, no, they're not actually, that's terrible math. I, I'm going to say, I like under, uh, I hate bidding the under, I'm going to say over 42 just seems, I, but I don't know. No, you know what? I'm going to say under, I'm going to say under, I just don't see how the bears can move the ball that much. That's I'm going to go under, I'm saying under, and I don't think the Packers have found their stride yet offensively. And it'll take, a, like I said, start the show. It'll take a couple weeks. So I'm going to go under. And then you said nine and a half, right? Or is it an even nine? Nine. Yeah. And nine and a half. Damn, dude. And the fact that it's moved already, like, tells you that, okay, everyone's like, ah, it was an outlier of the Packers to show up like that versus the Vikings. Now, for those keeping score at home, you and I were 0-4 last week in our predictions collectively. So uh, all these picks and significant of some topics and analysis come with an asterisk. I'll say that they go under and the Packers cover. I mean, I just... Okay. I think back in Lambeau, they get a little – I mean, it's tough playing at U.S. Bank Stadium. I'm not going to lie. Like, that's no excuse, but it's a little bit easier when your own fans are kind of – and there's just that mystique about Lambeau at night. And the, under the big lights, I think I, – I like the Packers to cover and to go under. So, again, I will get back to you on what the math is for that game prediction. Um, it's definitely not 32-10 to 10 or 35-10 to 10 because that doesn't make sense. But I will say the final score will be – Based off that information, 28-13. We are still early enough in the season that this one game isn't going – I mean, the sample size is so small. I'm not going to take this one game and think it is a total example of what this defense and what this offense are going to be over the course of the year. So I am going to continue, at least for this next week, to put my faith in what we believed going into the year. This is a Super Bowl contending team, the best team in the division, and a team that is going to win the vast majority of its games and probably should beat up on worse opponents regularly over the course of the season. I'm going to go with the under, and I'm going to go with the Packers to win as well. I'm going to go with the or to cover as well. 27 to 13 is what I'm going with. And I think that's going to rely both on the offense waking up and doing something. And it will also rely on the defense to have that bounce back week. But I do like those defensive matchups. And I'm just going to trust Aaron Rodgers against the Bears. doesn't matter if it was Lovey Smith or Mark Tressman or John Fox or Matt Nagy or now Matt Eberflus and their various defensive coaches. I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers against the Chicago Bears. Maybe that's homer bias, but I'm going to ride with history here. And I think this team is going to be fired up to try to bounce back from last week. Or at the very least, I'm putting all of my hope and optimism and desire into them wanting it more than last week. As much as I hate the phrase wanting it more, I think it's obvious that the energy levels were bad. Pump those up a little bit, get some momentum early, get off to that fast start, and hopefully this turns into a one-and-one team by the end of Sunday night football. So we're both on the under. We're both on the Packers winning. Hopefully, Matt, like you sort of previewed a moment ago, this is a little bit better than our picks were a week ago. Yeah, you just got to gather information, right? We got to, you know, we we pivot off of all the information we gather. One thing I want to point out, it's it's kind of hysterical looking at that Bears defense and just seeing the names on the list. Very, very, I mean, Eddie Jackson, we of course know, Raquan Smith, obviously, Robert Quinn, duh. But really, there's a lot of no-namers on that list as you go forward. But one thing I did notice in the Bears, in the Niners game, is that they're trying to cause turnovers, punching the ball out, that peanut Tillman type punch. 
I, I, it's a lot of guys that you normally wouldn't see on a, the Bears lineup. They're going through a transitional period, right? New coach, new GM, et cetera. But like at the end of the day, new stadium at some point, new owner, a whole, whole smorgasbord of change there for the Chicago Bears. Uh, I, I think they got Packers got to be a little bit cautious of just like control, you know, hanging onto the football. We got some young receivers, could catch one of those bubble screens you talked about, get the ball punched out from those are running past the corner. So, um, I look for this this Bears defense kind of be a little gritty, a little bit nasty, just because they got a bunch of no name guys really outside the three that I mentioned that are you know headline dudes. So um, a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think I think one guy that popped off the screen for me in that broadcast was um, Dominic Robinson. He was a solid dude uh, playing on the D line there too. But I think they've got to secure the football a little bit. But I do expect a, a Packers win, cover, and the under like we already predicted. Hopefully, we will be in a much better mood coming up next Monday for the Final Dump Live and on next week's podcast. Until then, we will be following along with all the news over the course of the week and, of course, reacting to the game on Sunday Night Football. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore F-R-A underscore. You can follow myself as well. I'm on Twitter at Brendan DZW. And, of course, make sure you're following Game on Wisconsin, not just on Twitter, at Game on WI, but on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram as well for all the latest and greatest content from all the phenomenal people on our staff at game on wisconsin we will join you again previewing week three and looking back on week two coming up next monday september 19th but until then for matt fralick i'm brendan dwarzinski you've been listening to the latest edition of the final dump brought to you by game on wisconsin well wayne i think this is one that vince lombardi and george hallis would be proud of you could just give me a touchdown that's hard to overturn you know what i mean well, i understand that's that. a good effort though wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's pretty good effort